Welcome to the Climate Chronicles podcast by SkySpecs, the show where we explore the latest wind and renewable energy trends, industry expertise, and best practices that can help us deliver the most efficient energy generation in the world. Let's jump into the latest episode. Welcome once again to SkySpecs Climate Chronicles podcast, where we explore some of today's biggest issues facing the renewable energy industry. I'm Sarah Lights, head of marketing here at SkySpecs. My co-host today is our VP of CMS Products, Alan Larson, and our guest for today is Michael Stone, who is the Senior Manager of Reliability Engineering at RWE Renewables. Welcome, Michael. Thanks for having me. How about you tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey to your current role and and what you do right now? Sure. Yeah, I'm um, uh, currently uh, managing the condition monitoring group at RWE. So what does that mean? Um, My group um, analyzes uh, a lot of data coming off of the turbines, um, primarily vibration data uh, that's uh, from a bunch of different systems that we use across the fleet um, for measuring drivetrain vibrations. So there's vibration sensors on the main bearings and s- several on the gearbox and generator. Um, and from that, uh, we use that, those diagnostic data to predict faults um, and help site teams address uh, progressing failures. Um, you know, and that, and we also look at uh, a number of other data such as um, particle debris monitors in the oil. Uh, we look at temperature data and, and other SCADA data. Uh, we look at oil sampling data. So uh, a lot of different things to just help us gauge the overall health of the turbine and um, what we can do with our asset management teams to to help them run more reliably and, and uh, get failures addressed proactively. So how did I, I get here? That's that's a uh, also a long story. Started roughly 20 years ago, and I got into acoustics, um, mostly uh, ultrasonic imaging uh, techniques. Um, you know, back in at the University of Texas, and did a graduate degree there, and then another one then university in France all around ultrasonic imaging. So it kind of started there and that labeled me as the acoustics guy everywhere I went. So I started getting handed sound meters and, you know, anything to do with dynamic data, um, you know, whether it be acoustic or vibration or whatever it, I kind of ended up being the person that did that. Um, So after university, I went into energy storage industry, uh, working with flywheel energy storage, um, did a lot of bearing diagnostics and stuff there, uh, and then moved into the automotive drivetrain space after that, um, where I was for about almost 10 years before moving into wind in, uh, 2019. So yeah, it was, it's been kind of a long journey, but it's always been centered around acoustics and vibration and instrumentation and data acquisition. So um, it was a fairly natural fit. Uh, I understood all the the data analytics techniques that we used when coming into wind. So they were all very similar to what we used in automotive. So it was a pretty good fit. And um, 
other than having no idea how a wind turbine worked <laughs> when I came on board, it was uh, uh, it was a pretty easy transition there. So, what, what would you say, uh, Michael? Because I know we often uh, have it as a talking point that wind is different in requirements uh, uh, for vibration diagnostics than most other industries uh, <clears throat> because it's a widely used technology, right? For for diagnosing um evolving faults yep right uh, but could you talk a bit about what the some of the main differences you see uh, how how the wind industry stands out compared to other industries yeah yeah a lot of people compare it to oil and gas um you know but if you walk into oil and gas refinery you have thousands and thousands of pumps and and fans and and other pieces of equipment that are basically running at steady state so constant power constant load um, constant speed uh, so vibrations from those standpoints are usually fairly easy and those speeds are fairly high you know uh, over you know usually you know 1800 rpm or higher yeah, so the higher the, the higher the, the rotation speed right the, the higher the fault frequencies yeah and it's it's almost easier are. Yeah, yeah yeah and it's generally easier to do that than than slow speed stuff so you know, and then automotive is a little bit more similar to wind in that it's variable speed, it's variable load, um, uh, de- depending on you know what kind of driving you're doing. Um, but the big difference in wind is that you have extraordinarily low speeds. You know, rotor speeds. You know, particularly as the rotors have gotten bigger, they have to turn slower, so it's much more difficult to leverage the kind of existing accelerometer technology for for those types of of things um just acceleration is a poor measuring for low speed stuff because it's from an energy perspective you know acceleration is much more attenuated at at low frequencies than high um so you really kind of got to start looking at, at at other you know, like velocity or or displacement is better things. Um, and we've had pretty good success, particularly like with main bearings, with displacement type sensors rather than, you know, the standard accelerometers. Because uh, it's those low frequency, defect frequencies that show up in bearings are much clearer in displacement than they are in acceleration. And is that a current technology widely rolled out or is that something that you're exploring? It, it's one we're exploring. We actually have a, a, a student group at um, uh, a university here in the States working on just kind of coming up with some prototype sensors for us that are basically drop-in replacements for accelerometers, but they're displacement-based. Um, and there is a couple of CMS manufacturers out there that have sensors that are are uh, more in the displacement realm yeah. uh, that we've had some pretty good success with, but they have other issues with them. <laughs> but we're so getting into what, the weeds on that. <laughs> so so what, I, what I hear you saying, and if you bring it back to, um, to a higher level, what I hear you saying is that not only in your role and with your team, you use existing technologies you also help drive forward 
state of the art for the industry? Oh, ab- absolutely. I mean, and that's that's something we're constantly doing is is continually trying to improve how we do things and and as part of every case that runs across um, our systems, you know, we categorize those cases, um, you know, based on what kind of value we created by detecting it or on the other side, if we, if we missed that detection, uh, what kind of value we lost, but also how do we not miss that same kind of detection in the future? So we're constantly looking at, at new technologies, new processing algorithms, just, um, taking the data that we have and using them in more. I know it, 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 that's really interesting, right? Because you're now, now you're talking about the actual value that this whole remote fault detection has. Uh, mm. And I think it's, it, it could, it's something that we could tie also back to the, uh, the differences there are between wind and other industries, right? Um, <clears throat> because um, I think in wind, we have these, uh, right? We have these thousands and thousands of assets that are, uh, you know, really heavy industrial assets with uh, that are very complex, slow rotating parts. But there are also thousands of them that look kind of the same yeah. uh, in a in a in a fleet, right? So um, working on a single detection problem for a single type of asset has a big impact, right? Yes. Yeah. Could you, yeah. So could you could you maybe talk a bit about what are some of the um, what are some of the driving, the drivers of value uh, for you? You mentioned uh, sort of detection uh, warning time. I know you've talked yeah. about that before. What are some? Yeah. What, what are what are the factors? Here? It depends on a little bit how how you can react to failure. You know, so if it's a failure, if we detect it, if we can take some mitigating measures to um, delay that failure significantly, or or proactively replace a small component before it gets grows into a larger thing. Yeah, I think one of the, one of the things that we've been pushing now, particularly as turbines have gotten bigger, has been like main bearing flushes. Um, you know, What's if a main we flush? yeah, so if we detect um, you know something early enough, you know, a, a main bearing is a little bit different than a gearbox that doesn't have a circulating lubrication system, so it's not filtering out debris. So when you start on down the path of failure on a main bearing, whatever chunks are coming off of, you know, rollers or races are now just being ground up to a pulp uh, within the system and, and causing further damage. So if you can catch that damage early enough and kind of at the right time, flush out all of that debris mm-hmm. and then replace it with fresh grease, then we've had really good luck of stretching two, one, two, three years out on, on main bearings and on some of these newer, you know, three megawatt and up systems that has a lot of value, <laughs> you know, if we can yeah. delay, uh, you know, replacement for, for that long. Um, so those are the kinds of things that, you know, if we can detect them earlier, uh, that, that brings a lot of value to us. So it's uh, essentially you're uh, you're 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 uh, giving the the main bearing a mouthwash gurgle. Yes. To the, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. To, to get all the basically <laughs> the food yeah. scraps out. 
Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. Keep the cavities from getting. <laughs> yeah. So keep getting the cavities worse. from uh, from from developing. Yeah. yeah. All right. I looked really long and hard for that analogy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, and the there's there's other stuff that you would think would bring value but doesn't necessarily bring value but like planet bearings is another one we don't have a lot of steps we can take to mitigate those so detecting them earlier doesn't do a whole lot for us um unless we can like uh take some sort of efforts to keep it from say cracking a case or or something like that you know when they get bad enough um uh, so we do want to detect them, but we don't necessarily need to detect them yeah. two years in advance. You know, where a main bearing, if you if you detect that two years in advance, that can actually bring you value. So, yeah. Um, and I would say for the for the listeners out there, what we're talking about here is that it doesn't always make sense to just push the limits for early detection if the failure mode, in particular, doesn't that you're particularly looking at. Um, if it doesn't, if it doesn't provide any extra value, if you can't remedy the fault, yeah, uh, uh, knowing about it two years in advance, and just you can do nothing about it, doesn't really help you much. Yeah. Now that that may, to add to that, that might change a little bit as we start getting um, better developed processes for doing modular replacements of, say, planetaries. So now, if we could detect the planetary, you know. A year and a half for two years in advance, then that could might really bring some value if we could do a yeah. modular up tower replacement of that planetary. Yeah. But and as it stands we, right now, if it's failing, the yeah. box has got to come out anyway. So and here and here you're working with let's say the maybe the turbine manufacturer or the bearing manufacturer or or uh, yeah even third some party. third parties yeah, yeah, yeah. to develop these that. techniques. Yeah. And, and or they develop and you try them out. Maybe you have collaborations around it. I'm guessing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So constantly pushing the boundaries. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what what particular aspects of your job keeps you up at night the most, if any? <laughs> guy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, yeah, nothing. No. <laughs> <laughs> um that's yeah there's we've noticed as as turbines have gotten bigger um we tend to run into a lot more of what we call like fast moving failures um failures that really go from from detection to shut down within you know a couple days or or even less so hours even um so those are the failures that we have to, uh, I mean, literally do daily scans of the data or have some sort of email uh, reporting system so that an analyst can be alerted if, if something's happened. Because that's usually you see something, you call and you get it shut down and, yeah. and allow site to go, go inspect it. And well, we're seeing a particular, a particular failure you want to highlight. You don't have to mention any specific. Yeah, one. yeah. I mean, there there's one platform out there right now that i think a lot of owner operators are are struggling with with uh coupler failures um and and nobody's yet come up with the root cause but it's uh they're they're fast i mean they're you know you might get a few hours of, of notice if any um that it's about to 
to uh, let go. And those are particularly bad because the, when they fail, uh, you almost ha- kind of have this random number generator of what else it's going to take out when it, it comes off. So, you know, it could wipe out, you know, generator fans or, or it could punch a hole through the nacelle or it could take out a hydraulic pump. So, you know, they they can be pretty variable and how they go. And, and so there's, uh, that randomness to it doesn't allow you just kind of stock extra parts and fix it and go, you know, cause it's invariably, it's going to take out something that you don't have on hand. So, yeah. so we're very uh, much in the back to basic machine protection here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's not about, not only about just, you know, tweaking the cost optimization a little bit here and there. Yeah. It's really like the basic protecting the overall asset. Right. Pretty catastrophic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they can be pretty yeah. bad. Yeah. Are there any pieces of technology that you saw or have been looking at that you think could maybe solve some problems for, for RWE? Or is there something that you really wish could help you guys that you that's a gap in the market? Oh, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I think uh, this was actually mentioned by someone on your podcast a few weeks ago um, about Blade blade cms systems uh i i think that's that's a gap for us right now um again as we're getting into bigger turbines and and bigger blades uh, the failure modes are coming becoming a little bit more unpredictable and sometimes a little bit more sudden so uh, the the six-month drone inspection doesn't always capture everything so um but yeah we we've done some investigations in the in the blade technologies blade cms technologies out there right now and man it's really variable <laughs> the the market is yet to to kind of settle in on two or three different solutions that really work uh so everybody's still kind of trying to figure out what's going to be um the most beneficial and bring the most value so i i think that that's definitely some conversations we had last week um uh talking to a, a bunch of different blade cms people um and maybe about doing some trials and stuff um there are, am i allowed to go into a, a rabbit hole here i'd like to ask yeah. A, a question. oh yeah i love digging around in the weeds sure love rabbit holes <laughs> <laughs> that's great thanks i find that the blade cms question is um or the dream of a blade cms is a uh, high on the minds of, of many asset owner operators out there. It's sort of a, it's a high level wish, right? Mm. Um, everybody wants, wants it, but it, it doesn't seem to like you allude to, it doesn't really seem to have, it doesn't see, really seem to exist in the format we wish it to. Mm-hmm. So I find that um, with blades, um, if you want a proper CMS system, the industry uptake is going to be very binary. So um, acoustic sensors, right? Very yeah. good at, or have some detection capabilities in the high-speed part of the blade, the tip that's moving really fast yeah. can pick up yeah. stuff for certain failure modes, like icing or maybe, you know, missing vortex generators, dino tails and whatnot uh, might be the stuff that can generate some uh, abnormal noise. but. As soon as you move up to the slower 
moving part of the blade, um, it becomes more difficult. Yeah. So when you but when you look then across the whole blade, you won't cover all the failure modes with a single technology because Correct. it's such a special yeah. component, right? So when do you think when do you think the um, you would have covered enough failure mode to say you really invest or or let's say the industry will take up a, a CMS system? Yeah, I mean that and that's a good question. And and I think the 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 answer is really going to end up being very turbine specific. Um, or at yeah. least blade specific, because I think you know certain blades will see very specific types of failure modes that you're interested in. Um, so now you're picking and choosing which systems will really cover those one or two failure modes well. And maybe if we're lucky, give us some other stuff too. But you know, we we really kind of have to start of assigning the value in particular failure modes, and then going after which blades have those failures. Um, so you may end up with a fleet. You know, if your fleet's not real homogenous, then you're going to end up with a fleet with probably lots of different blade solutions on them. Um, and and some turbines, it's not going to make sense to have any. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. It, it may be the case. So I think one of the big um, success indicators for a vibration system is that it's basically um, become ubiquitous, right? So it's it's installed on every new wind turbine yep. uh, these days, right? So and it, it's being installed from production. Uh, future turbines don't need retrofits, right? Yeah. Do you think that with the current level of technology, we're uh, in for blade CMS, we're anywhere near yeah. reaching that? I, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. Okay. No. Um, right now, it's too specialized, and and particularly for newer turbines, we don't know what kind of failure mode coverage we'll need to have until after it operates some some amount of time. So, yeah. So it would probably continue being for the time being a retrofit, case by case basis. Uh, I, I would guess so. Yeah. Unless somebody finds a, a silver bullet yeah. that will, yeah, so if you if you're like yeah. if your wind farm is placed in the in the lightning twilight zone, uh, right? Yeah. That's where you might want to do, uh, yeah, install that. Or, or your uh, wind turbine is on the North Pole or uh, the top <laughs> of Finland, uh, right, where you have a lot of icing problems. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's even North Texas, yeah. Oh, North Texas, <laughs> yeah. Too, yes. <laughs> North Texas, yeah. 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 So that that's where you want to that's where you want to consider if there's high enough risk on on a particular one. Okay. Yeah. Super interesting. So your team is also um, looking at other components than the drivetrain. Yeah, and 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 that's that's always uh, of interest to, to us is. You know, a lot of people call us drivetrain CMS, but we're not necessarily limited to that. We don't limit ourselves to that for sure. Um, we do always try to um, identify if there's ancillary failures that we can detect through drivetrain CMS. Like we've had some really good luck um, uh, detecting um, failing couplings on hydraulic stations and one of our OEMs. And that's just, because it happens to be coupled well enough to the gearbox that that we can see it if we know what to look for. So um, that that's that's one. Uh, we've also been able to find some pitch tube bearings that we've had um, trouble with. 
uh, and one gearbox in particular. So, uh, but yeah, we're always looking at other stuff too. Like, you know, is there electrical faults and generators that, that, that we can detect with CMS or is there additional censoring we can add to, to detect say wiring failures or something like that? So, um, yeah, so there's, there's always that constant look at new data sources, you know, and are they useful? And then also how do we extract the most from the data that we have? Um, I think that it gets a little overlooked that, I mean, we, we have terabytes and terabytes worth of data, uh, almost daily, you know, coming from these turbines. How do we best leverage those data to, to, to get the most information that we can out of them, the most value out of them we can. Yeah. Maybe you can speak a little bit to the difference between developing the detection, like versus actually acting on it. And you know how they go hand in hand, and where you see potentially uh, disconnects happening in the in industry now. Like we talked about earlier, it doesn't make sense to extend the detection time of, of certain failure modes because we currently can't do anything about them. Right? But but I guess I'm just asking you to speak a bit about uh, a bit about about that disconnects in the industry. Well, I I think one of the dis connects we haven't well that's kind of a different topic but uh, i mean i think there's a lot of new components coming that we don't necessarily know how to deal with yet um planet uh journal bearings is a prime example of that uh we yeah. don't necessarily know how to deal with that yet i suspect that's going to be one of those cases where we really have to move into um prescriptive maintenance rather than predictive so um at least what's, from, the, what's the key difference yeah well so predictive maintenance is, is you know you you have that pf curve um you know just detecting stuff as far up that pf curve that you can where uh, so that that failure is already onset it's just detecting it early mm -hmm. where prescriptive maintenance at least in my mind is you are removing the conditions conducive to failure so now you're talking really about, you know, oil uh, is really, you know, the, the top of that list, you know, your lubrication, grease or oil. As a, a uh, lubrication instructor I had once pointed out, bearings don't fail, they're murdered. So yeah, <laughs> you, you really got to, uh, you know, make sure that your lubrication conditions are good. You know, uh, you have proper flow and pressure and uh, all the additives are correct and all that. Um, but also to that, that end, starting or at least trying to mitigate issues caused from like edge, edge cases as far as loading and things like that go. Figuring out where in the, in the load cycle that most of these damages are coming from and, and are conducive to, to causing components to fail. Um, I think I was having, uh, at ACP last week, I had a conversation with one of the, the main, uh, manufacturers for main bearings and, you know, the, the discussion was as an industry, we don't really understand fully the loading, uh, on these drivetrains. Um, there's a lot of dynamic loading that I think that we, we just don't 
know how to model properly because um, we're seeing a lot of failures in components, um, you know, main bearings and, and and other components that just shouldn't be happening. I mean, yeah, there there there's a lot of forces out there and settings yeah. on the turbine and yeah, that to direct those forces uh, right that that you have control over and you don't know what the impact of that is. Yeah. Yeah, I think there there's some very interesting torsional and and axial dynamics that we don't really fully understand. So some of it's maybe getting our hands around that and figuring out what it is about those forces that are causing these these kind of you know nascent failures that we're seeing. And you know, there's one platform out there right now that there's a lot of horror stories around you know main bearing failures and um. Uh, gear gearbox failures that just are happening way before any design life uh, says they should. So yeah. uh, clearly, something was not accounted for. Yeah. Um, so when we're like just to take it back to the predictive versus uh, prescriptive, uh, the way I understand your definition, and there's a there seems to be a lot of definitions out in the industry. Yeah. Uh, right. But the way I understand it is that when you say um, predictive. Right. It's it's about you're basically detecting an active failure, right? Correct. Something yes. that's progressing. Yes. Whereas yes. prescriptive is more like you monitor the conditions that can lead to a failure. Yes. That statistically right. are more likely a failure is going to happen. Yes. Yeah. So you're you're getting into the statistics game of it at that yeah. point. Yes. But you might even uh, it's a statistics game, uh, which means it's hard to act on the individual, yeah, individual asset. Like say uh right as a as if you're if you're a hospital and you know that uh 15 uh, of your cancer patients are going to have uh, malignant cancer uh you can staff up accordingly yeah and, and have the right uh, you know equipment and so on so you're ready to act on this but if you're a patient that has you know that has uh, some sort of tumor detected you you can't rely on statistics to make decisions on your personal choice of develop or, or right like yeah those are, yeah yeah it's also really hard to create value <laughs> or to say what kind of value you're creating too if uh, statistically you're 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 doing things so, but yeah it's um yeah it's a little bit tough uh, and it's it's one of those problems where we don't quite have enough sample sizes um we don't have all the data that we need to particularly for the loading part we don't you know there there's probably dozens of phd uh you know theses out there uh, that somebody could go after um yeah for this kind of stuff yeah but i mean you should still be able to wouldn't you still be able to detect let's say you mentioned oil and lubrication for journal bearings, right? Um, yeah. Would you be able to detect on? Do you think you'll be able to detect on the individual turbine um, that there's a condition that can lead to a fault? Because then it's actionable, right? Yeah, yeah, and that's actionable. And and we've actually seen this um, uh, using particle monitors. If they measure a small enough particle size you can actually see as as that elasto hydrodynamic lubrication layer starts to collapse or, or shrink 
you can actually start to see them shedding a lot of really small particles. So if yeah. they're over temping or um, there, there's something wrong with the viscosity of the oil or, or the pressure is getting low or it's aerated or whatever, you can start to see that kind of stuff show up in like particle monitors. So, so that's, that's one part of it, but um, just also just keeping the oil clean and healthy is another big part of it. Making sure the pumps are operating like they should and filters are being uh, maintained. That's all part of it as well. Well, it sounds like you're really keeping your finger on the pulse on new developments and you're looking for, you're looking for ways to solve problems that you know exist. Yep. Um, Trying to. Yeah. Uh, that's some of the stuff that um, that I know they uh, bring up at the annual uh, DRC workshop, the Drivetrain Reliability yep. Conference workshop. Yep. Yep. Um, which is led by the National Renewable Energy uh, Lab, Enrel, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Enrel. Um, we both attended that this year. What was what, what do you what were some of the golden nuggets you took away from that event? Um, I mean, it's always just interesting to see what kind of research the industry is doing. The yeah, there there's uh, wide edge cracking is is the hot topic uh, of the day. So um, and that's just Sarah. That's a that's a very yeah a very nerdy failure mode. Like at the yeah, uh, uh, there was like <laughs> like somebody got on the stage and he's like. He's like, I'm sorry, but I know I'm the third whitest crack guy. <laughs> those, yeah, those, that was the those were actual words. Yeah, it's a very very nerdy 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 topic in the yeah. train world, and uh, that was explored at length. Yeah, at the DRC, at length multiple times. Yeah, yes. multiple times, <laughs> and and I, I guess for the audience, it's a. Um, uh, metallurgical issue and that's showing up in bearings and it's basically, I think it's caused by hydrogen embrittlement. Um, so for some reason, yeah, hydrogen is, is getting into the bearings and, and nobody's quite sure what the root cause is. There's some speculation that it's from certain additives in the oil or it's, uh, caused by stray currents passing bearing there there's lots of different theories out there um so yeah pretty but pretty interesting just, stuff it, it's because we saw you know there are there are research institutes with an entire staffs and testing rigs dedicated for this seemingly yeah. tiny problem right but because of the scale of wind it now gets that attention it, it sort of shows how far the industry has come already right that there are these entities existing that yeah get to spend all their days looking at down to material science sciences, right? These these yeah. issues that are occurring in, in, in wind, right? Yeah. And, and apparently uh some other industries are also kind of facing similar stuff. So this isn't yeah. this isn't necessarily uh just a wind thing, but wind is getting a lot of attention towards it. So yeah. Um, and maybe some of the other things I took away. Um I was really interested to see um uh, the high temperature superconducting uh, work that's going on right now. So that's really super efficient generators that, you know, since they're superconducting, you don't have to have so much mass in them to dissipate heat. And 
uh, that sort of thing. So the generators can start getting much smaller. Um, so that was kind of interesting. Um, and also there was a couple of different research uh, efforts going on, kind of showing that there's probably a ceiling to how big turbines can get. And we're actually getting pretty close to that ceiling. Unless, of course, there's some technological leap. But so uh, I think that's been that's actually kind of good news <laughs> to a lot of us because I mean right now as an owner operator, if you go to buy turbines every every time every year you go to buy turbines, well they're getting bigger and they're getting larger, and so we're not we haven't been settling on a single technology and kind of developing it you know um, over time. So you know for any given turbine size, we might see it for a couple of years and then we're moving on to the next big thing. So that that design feedback loop isn't quite there that you have in say other industries such as automotive so yeah so you don't yeah you don't actually ever fix the root cost because you yeah the, you're the moving on to the next a, big thing yeah. a, a, a a model that is no longer produced and so there you can't go back to production and fix the root costs yeah uh, they have the, the, the parts even the subparts, because the turbine scales up so much in size, uh, right? It, it it will never be produced again, except for spare parts. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's really interesting. I think I've seen that especially in offshore. Uh, some of the big offshore players in Europe, right? They really suffer from the rapid scale up of, of offshore turbines. Uh, yes, you can get more energy out for every meter you add in the rotor size. Yeah, so it's it sort of that's the uh, what is it? It quadruples every time you add, right? Uh, what is it? Is it you can cut this out there? This is where I'm going to sound stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll I don't know. I, had, I hadn't I hadn't heard this. <laughs> um, but the energy yield you get um, it 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 grows uh, significantly as you as you uh, as you scale up the rotor size. So the unit economics look really great when you when you just calculate you know what's possible what what's what's happening because you're scaling up so quickly is you'll get an offshore wind farm that has ten of a kind right they produce ten units of one specific turbine and then there was a redesign out and they changed the entire bill of materials and then the ne the next twenty turbines are a completely different set of parts except mm -hmm. even though it's the same sort of size of turbine. Yeah. Uh, so uh, in I think in in onshore, yes, you can feel it. You still get some repeatability, probably a few thousand turbines produced of a single type, right? But here we're talking like maybe less than fifty in a series ever produced, sometimes. Yeah. Right. And that and that's really interesting. And I know Audible is also in, in offshore, develops new offshore wind farms as well. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, that's a space. Um, since we're in Americas, I don't get to play in much. But uh, yeah, it's it is a big part of RWE. One day. Yeah, one day. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, Michael, I know, I know a lot of folks talk about like the the constant changing size of wind turbines being a huge problem in the industry. Do you think? that that is one of the biggest challenges or are there other challenges that you think really um, affect the wind in industry as a whole? Uh, yeah, as I mentioned, I think that the loading it, it, and us as an industry not really understanding 
what loads the the turbines are are seeing at least from my perspective from the the cms reliability yeah. guy that's that's you know my perspective i'm sure there's lots of other things out there um if you had to put uh, on your if you if you became ceo <laughs> and you had nobody to wants that CEO, <laughs> you're you're a very successful engineer suddenly they decide to put the ceo hat on you and, yeah and, they, and the sky specs interviews you and asks you what are the <laughs> what are you what are the biggest industry problems you see out there uh, mr ceo then you would no longer say loading what would you then say oh i mean it's cost right i mean it still costs a lot of money to put a turbine up so and and when you're ceo that's the bottom line right mm. um yeah and i think there's still a a a lot of cost drivers out there that I think we have a lot of things that are over-designed um, because we don't understand the loading. So it all comes back to the loading, right? Yeah. So, I mean, foundations and, and towers and, and even bed plates and, you know, and these massive chunks of steel and concrete could probably get smaller or at least more efficient, you know, if, if we better understood the loading um, yeah. blades too. So. So it's because you compensate for what for risk? Yeah, I mean, right? You de-risk by making you know making it uh, you know bigger and, and beefier. Um, you you try to move yourself further out to the right on the stress strain curve, so you know a life cycle fatigue curve. So, um, yeah, and, and you do that by making it stronger. So, and probably needlessly so in some cases. So if I'm paraphrasing you, what you're saying is, you know, if we get if we get more data, if we get to understand it better, the industry as a whole could take more risk in the design of the turbine. Yes. Yes. That's super interesting. That's your punchline right there, Mike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll use Alan's words and make it yeah. punchline. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Feed that into the, the voice <laughs> AI. Uh, so there it sounds like I said it. Yeah. <laughs> quote by michael stone yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right oh, you, say that? you should have said that michael come on i know you did say it <laughs> i did say that he you did. just said it in different words yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what i do i do it every day just except for words it goes into powerpoints oh man that's why you're every powerpoint i make is just martin who Said something smart. <laughs> Said something. <laughs> and then I, then I, and then you I it into it. a PowerPoint. <laughs> yeah. And then here I am on a podcast. There we go. Okay. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Well, we've only got a couple of minutes left. So I'm going to ask you the one question that I like to end, end the podcast with. Um, okay. Is there anything you wish we would have asked you or you think is really important to our listeners to understand about the work that you do? I mean, I think, uh, yeah, back from the perspective, not of the CEO, but from the condition monitoring engineer, um, I, I think there's still a lot of uh, groups, even in our own organization, that don't necessarily see the value of, of condition monitoring and predictive maintenance and prescriptive maintenance and that kind of thing. So, I mean, I think it's um, obviously something that every organization should look at you know, what value do, do those things bring? And, and, and 
I think some of it's a lot of people don't understand exactly what we do and, and how we do it. So it's, uh, um, uh, if I had some magic bullet, <laughs> my, that's, that's what my button does is it's whoever I'm speaking to suddenly understands what my group does and, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and, and how we work. Um, uh, yeah, and even internally, we've put together some presentations just for different stakeholders, just to kind of show them what we do and how we do it. And I think it's been pretty beneficial. Um, you know, so we're not just this nebulous black box out there that, that tells you to go replace something, and you don't know why or, or um, you know or why that would bring you value. So. But I mean, as a if I put a, put myself in the shoes of an outsider. My bracing data looks like total gibberish. Yeah, and, and I guess that's—I mean, that—that's—I'm a victim of of having looked at it for twenty plus years. That you know, it just—it's become almost intuitive to me, right? So it's and it's a—you know—it's a little bit of a struggle to uh, to. T- inform somebody of something that's very intuitive to you and seems kind of easy to you because you're so practiced at it and done it so long. But, uh, you know, how do you tell like, how do you explain to somebody how you walk, you know, or, you know, it's, it's, you've done it for so long that you know, it's like, well, you just put one foot in front of the other, but there's so much more to it than that. You know, right? it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that, that's the struggle for us, I think. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, and it is just gibberish. It's all just like we make it up. So. And it, <laughs> it's a it's a magic eight ball. Yeah, see this line right here. Oh yeah, yeah, that planetary is bad for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I go. That's a great way to end it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is made up. The numbers don't matter. Right. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> Abrasion. Vibration engineers are magicians. Yep. I mean, yeah. I mean, and there uh, there is an art to it, right? I mean, it's not just, uh, you know, you know, x plus y equals z. There's a little bit of well, you know, it's it looks kind of like this one did last year that failed. So, you know, but it's not quite the same. So maybe there's an issue. Maybe there's not. So you know, there there's a lot of you know, we do a lot of hand waving. Uh, which mm-hmm. is which is nice, um, but uh, yeah, there is a bit of an art to it um, because one thing that looks a certain way on one turbine may mean a completely different thing on another turbine. So. Yeah, it's like yeah. listening to a part of whales right, for twenty years as a researcher, and then yeah. all of a sudden you can speak point, their language. Suddenly you can you can you can make out the uh, Mary the calf from. <laughs> Danny the grandma, you know, yeah, like, yeah just from the, the the special little uh, noise peaks there. Okay, yeah, that's no cow on the ice. Yeah, there's no cow yeah. on the ice. That's right, Mike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good. All right. Well, this has been great, Michael. It's been really informative. Thanks for yeah. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Climate Chronicles brought to you by SkySpecs. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please subscribe to our podcast so you can be the first to know when we release the latest episodes. If you really liked it, make sure to give us a five-star review. 
See you next time. 